video. It's the only way to get what you want to watch when Hello, you watch it. my name's Justin the Clue, and I'm here today with Mark Hansen. And you're listening to the Bay Street Video Podcast. We go through all of this week's new Blu-rays and DVDs straight from Bay Street Video. When I say straight, I mean from our respective homes. Yes. But these are the films <laughs> that Bay Street Video has received this week. Exactly. You know, we we used to be straight from Bay Street Video, and we're hoping to get back to that point at some point soon some point yes well listen the mask mandate has ended but not a base street video so which means that the problem has completely been solved right you know i'm sure everybody's going to be super pleasant about it on monday when that starts oh boy when someone comes in <sighs> i know oh you're gonna have fun with that won't you i mean it's hard to say right i mean i know a lot of independent businesses at least in toronto are keeping you know the mask mandate on which is good it's mostly just like corporate store it's just like corporate places that are just going by what the government says so we it's not like we're a grocery store or shoppers drug mart where you have to like cater to all walks of life including people that don't really you know have an older clientele which uh sometimes it can be a little bit ornery because they're used to a certain way of living that's true that's true but i feel like the we have had conflicts throughout this whole thing with people but i feel like the majority of our like good customers the ones that we obviously don't want to piss off are fine with this are like fine with whatever we're gonna do you know i feel like people i would like to think people that appreciate art a little more are a little more you know level-headed about things coming to bay street video the true art appreciator yeah exactly exactly are you gonna be the enforcer anytime i see you in the store you're always like the muscle being like all right get out of here i mean that's not really my job necessarily since i'm more the product manager a lot of the employees at the store like mark please help us as a senior staff member it does kind of fall on me especially if the general manager isn't around or something but you you take no joy busting heads either you know it's weird i've worked in retail so long now like i I've worked in retail for god it seems like almost two decades now like ever since i left high school i've worked in retail uh, like yeah 17 18 you know at one point i used to really get off on confrontations with people <laughs> like really loved like, it like get off like you're yeah. like <laughs> i just like i i live for it right you know like i didn't mind it at all now it's just like maybe i'm just more tired you know and i remember like my old manager way back in the day him starting to get tired of confrontations i've been like how is you know how's that it's always like it's such a thrill getting in confrontation with people i love to get the knuckles out and to start you know now i prefer to just avoid it if possible but you know you can't always avoid it and especially nowadays it's really tough to avoid it i mean so. mark's a hero i don't think we talked about it on the podcast but we were once standing in front of a street video and someone stole my bag oh my god yeah and we... mark was like you get back here and he like just grabbed the guy <laughs> like pulled them back for context we're located in a little hallway which um you know unfortunately becomes a bit of a a home for a lot of the homeless people in the area usually who are fine because and don't really bother people but there are some homeless people that frequent and do kick up a stir and and harass people and fortunately we have to deal with that but yeah back when we were doing curbside long ago and people couldn't come in you and i were chatting outside the store and I just I had a feeling when this guy came in through the doors and he was unmasked, of course, and like he just I recognized him because he'd been around. It was just like, you know, that spidey senses tingling thing. And as soon as he started getting like within five feet of us, I'm like, he's going to go for your bag, which was just like perched on the and ground. And my bag had my electric bike battery in it, which is like five. Yeah, you have like a hard drive like, in there, too, I think. Like you had some pretty and, you know, somehow managed to shield it off you grabbed it but it didn't stop the guy from taking his shoe off and 
hitting me over the head with his shoe about... Did he? I don't remember that. Maybe I passed out out of fear. Adrenaline. I'm like, oh! But yeah, he legit hit me over the head three times with his shoe. Wow. Which, like, not not hard enough to, like, make it that big of a deal, but enough that it was a bit of a shock. And then he took off. Unfortunately, I've seen that kind of bag-snatching attempt happen enough that I could kind of, you know, see it coming, but... These uh, are not evil people. It's it's because we're you're also right downtown, which is, like, the core, so... You know. The situation for homeless people in Toronto is, like I assume it is for a lot of cities, not good. And there's no nowhere for them to go. And especially when it's the winter. Yeah, go into a warming center. Well, there's none available and they're also unsafe. I don't know what you want me to do then. And all the buildings and like, you know, indoor malls around the store have like 24-7 security. So they can't hang out there. We're just kind of a small hallway, so we don't. And all the benches have those like anti-homeless things on them too. Exactly, right? So it's like, what are they supposed to do? So it's it's definitely a gray area. I don't, I make it a point not to kick people out of the hallway unless they're explicitly like harassing people or being violent. Like that's the problem. They, we do have a lot of drug addicts that come by, unfortunately, and kick Some up defecation and, at and times break, yeah break windows and stuff so it, it's obviously something you have to deal with but you know cities should just be kinder to their homeless people obviously that's really what this all boils down to don't mess with mark if you're a yeah. customer because you know <laughs> just, he gets, as he said he gets off on it maybe he'll get well he'll get that maybe not anymore again. now i'm just tired for now i'll just give you a tired uh, just get out of the store <laughs> just get out of the store <laughs> just as you're out, pulling please. your samurai sword out <laughs> I know. But I mean, now it's like with the mask thing, it's like we have required people wear them to come into the store. But if they don't, if they show up without one, we will offer that. And be like, this is a private business. We could do exactly. whatever we wanted. Exactly. That's the thing. <laughs> and if people still want to like kick up a, like a stir over their rights about not being able to come in, then, you know, you don't have to come in. Sorry. I don't really care. And after that big wind up, now let's talk about Albert Pune's The Sword and the Sorcerer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Released Perfect segue. by Shout Factory only in 4K. And Blu-ray. It comes with, with both. A Blu-ray. Yeah, you gotta buy both. <laughs> uh, when will I get tired of saying that? Yeah, I've done that with the last like you three episodes. You always say it like it's like, oh no, they don't even put a Blu-ray disc in. No, they, they do. do. They, they do. do. You just gotta pay them 4K prices. And this is one that is a long time coming. And uh, I feel like the Albert Pune renaissance is happening right now. That people are rediscovering his films and being like, wow, he was good. Well, I'd like to. I'd like to chalk that up to your excellent book. It's about not Albert only me. Pune, I don't think which uh, maybe spurred this on. Because even I, while I knew who Albert Pion was, yeah, I was never like, it was just, he was kind of a name I would see on, you know, movies that I was watching and be like, oh, it's that guy again. But I never really delved into his career until you started, you put out that book and we're talking about it more. And then I kind of, you know, researched him more from there. But even myself, I haven't, I haven't seen this film yet and I haven't seen a lot of his films. Well, so. The Sword and Sorcerer, his first picture, it was out of commission for a long time. There was an Anchor Bay release a long time ago. There was a UK release that had a commentary with him and Chris McGee of, uh, what is it called? Film Threat? Yeah, Film Threat. Remember Film Threat? I think they're still around. Well, I have my own experience with Film Threat. Oh, which writing was for them? Okay. Annoying. Yeah. Well, no, I did it, but I, I definitely, I put in my name to write for them once upon a time. And you know, that doesn't really mean much because they don't, they don't pay anybody. And they say that right up front, like on there, like, do you want to write for us thing? But you know, Film Threat, I would say, is kind of an institution. In the 90s, absolutely. In the 90s, yeah. yeah. I mean, they're not so, but the thing is, they've kind of fallen off that now i feel like at one point they I were mean, that over the last 15 years like they've kind of completely kind of that underground like indie they had like magazines in the 90s on newspaper print huge yeah. respect for them which is why i 
you know, threw my hat in the ring, was like, hey, do you need a writer? And I did get a response that got back to me and the guy who runs it, um, yeah, got back to me and was like, cool. It was so strange about it. And then he immediately, before discussing anything, he just sent me a whole bunch of screeners to review of movies that were like barely even movie like movies just released to like youtube by their creators or like short films which not isn't necessarily a bad thing but like you're not paying and you already dump like five screeners on me and this was just a test five that's brutal and then also he had mislabeled them so he's like here are the five films with like brief descriptions and i click on the link and it's like a totally different film than what he had described and i'm like so i kind of just ignored it and put it off but then he actually and i thought he wasn't even going to get back to me but then he does like a week later being like so how's it coming with those reviews and i was like Honestly, dude, I don't feel comfortable taking all this on. I mean, these were all mislabeled. I just didn't get the sense you were really serious about this. And then I just never heard from him again. Uh, well, they keep on trucking. And on that note, back to the sword and the sorcerer. Sorry, I mean, much love for like what film threat represents. I just, you know, didn't have a great experience with them. And so this is a sword and sorcery picture. It basically gave Albert kind of a blank check for a long time, but it was also known as a very trouble production. It's a picture that the producer's name appears right at the top and it says a Brandon Chase film. Yeah. Nice. Uh, supposedly, Albert was like bullied a lot on set because he was a nobody. He had, you know, nothing to his name. And he only got the picture because he had done a big storybook, like a storyboard package that had like all the details, blah, blah, blah. And on set, the cinematographer would be like, uh, we're not doing that. You don't know what you're doing. And uh, for a long time, it didn't come out, the film, on physical media because I believe the producer just didn't want to give it. He is also the producer of Alligator. And what's this? Looking at his imdb he passed away last year hmm could that have something to do with these blu-rays coming out and there yeah. we go because <laughs> yeah sword and the sorcerer like alligator has got like we have the old dvd which i believe anchor, anchor bay, bay ages ago it. yep but like that was in what late 90s they put that dvd out and it's been out of print forever so yeah it definitely has to do with that and the sword and the sorcerer package is excellent it has a really charming interview with albert that's like 20 minutes long he does a commentary as well has an interview with the main actor in the film who plays the princess it has an interview with the chiodo brothers who worked on some of the special effects has an interview with the editor who seems pretty dismissive of albert like oh man <laughs> like ah you know i fix this what's weird about all the people like i remember reading that the cinematographer said that he directed the film you watch that mm. film and it's filled with albert touches whether it's the structure or angles okay. and he says he's really not that proud of the film because you know he was bullied around on it so much to the point that he said that like four to six times he was like i quit this is you know unworkable but the actor kept bringing him back being like please just do this and so it's nice that he's willing to participate in all of this stuff and he seems very lucid uh during the interview as well which is nice considering that like you know there was a scare a couple weeks ago where he disappeared yeah, he for a day problems right well yeah really bad health problems so i'm glad that the film now gets like a respectful release with tons of context and like all his major films deserve stuff like this and i hope this leads to more of them being released because i know that like nemesis got an mvd release yep that got a pretty solid uh, release. and nemesis two three four but like give me mean guns which an hd master exists right. was released in germany yeah or uh radioactive dreams is like the holy grail that's the kind of white I, whale right yeah that's the one that i feel like vinegar syndrome behind the scenes or like working on it because that is 100 percent right? up their alley like that's the kind of movie that they would put out in a big 4k box set so fingers crossed 
Now, am I a little sad that no, I was not contacted for this release, having being the first one written a book? Yes, especially seeing that his commentary is moderated by someone else, like a film critic. <laughs> oh, man. How well does your book sell, by the way? Do you get numbers on that? Or? Uh, yeah, I don't really keep track. It sells okay. Like, it's not like I'm like, aha, a couple hundred bucks. Uh, <laughs> yeah, moving into a mansion. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it was pretty, uh, well reviewed. People really liked it, even though that like, I did kind of just kind of like pump it out really fast. Cause I knew that was the only way that I could do it without being self-conscious about it. And, uh, yeah. It's the kind of thing I really like not to toot your horn anymore, but it's the kind of thing I really like from those film, uh, or that summary of a director's career where it's like, it's just laid out kind of like film by film, like very much like, okay, here's this film and here's everything you need to know about it. And here's the next. And I really like that kind of progression through. Yeah, career. I think that my issue with writing it was like, I can't write a biography of Albert Pyun. And basically all I could do was like a critical analysis of every single one of his films. That's the only way I, f I felt that I could confidently write about this kind of stuff. And so that's the way I approach it in a very informal manner. And people like it. And like uh, probably every book I ever write, it will, I, I never want to make the definitive version because my brain can't handle that. Like that was a big stumbling block in academia, which is like, you know, you need 100 references. You need to cross reference them. It's like, yeah. I can't do it. Like, I understand I the know. value of it, but that's not how my mind works. And when I try to do that, I'm just like, I can't like, it's too hard. Like it's, it's a weird feeling that, you know, it's just the way my brain's built. So if I can do it like that and people enjoy it, that I love that, especially if it leads to like other people discovering his work, maybe somebody else wants to write a book about him. That'd be awesome. Well, that's the thing. I think that's a healthier attitude because I feel like nowadays so many film critic type people want to like stake their claim to a certain director or film and it's like this is this is like my film almost and it's like i don't think that's if i don't want to be the definitive person on this subject then it won't hurt my feelings if other people do it but you know it, it also wouldn't hurt my feelings if somebody reached out when they put out a blu-ray i know <laughs> well you i know i feel like every time a pn release comes out it's always the same old like why didn't they contact justin <laughs> i'll do it for free please i believe i saw that albert pn himself Himself. Oh, he's a big fan of the book. Yeah, I, you can take that as like the ultimate sort of. And I don't know if I, I talk about this all the time. People are always like, did you interview him? And I was like, ah, no, because I didn't want to because it would become a whole different project if I interviewed him. Right, right. Because I'm a little bit like critical of a lot of the movies. I didn't want to involve him in that of like, yeah, what? I did an interview wanna... for this and he trashes this movie, which is my favorite. So and uh, Albert, I feel like over the years, he's kind of like hit his rhythms of like the stories he tells where it's like okay you know he's gonna tell this story about captain america or you know radioactive well, that's dreams the thing. there's so many interviews already i guess you can kind of glean from those what you will So this has been an advertisement for radioactive dreams the cinema of albert yeah Pien, available pick it up. seriously if you are in any way interested or a fan of albert Pien. It's a and must pick have. up the sword and the sorcerer. Have many people been buying this? You know disc? what? It's been a lower seller than you expected. Really? For, you know, like Alligator came out, and that like we can't keep that on the shelf. That's going crazy. This one's come out. I had like about the same amount of copies. It's not that it's not selling. It's just not selling as well, I guess, as I thought. I'm gonna say the same thing I say in the book, which has been Albert Pin's curse, is he doesn't make horror movies, and that's what sells. That's yeah, what has the fan base. That's what sells. That's what moves. It's horror films, and he just never really did it. And I don't know why. Like I don't know why he was never like, I'll make a slasher film, because then he would have a whole new audience. The, he he made a like mini DV Edgar Allan Poe adaptation way late in his career, 
uh-huh. but that's as far as you can get from getting that kind of fan base like if he had done it in the 80s he would have way way more fans but he never did yeah well i will say that the people who have bought this are super enthusiastic about it at least from what i can tell so moving on we have jean-pierre melville's le cercle rouge the red circle on 4k uhd from criterion oh yeah and i know this one was out before you know criterion put this out on blu-ray a decade plus ago but it's just been out of print for so long that I'm just super happy to see this back in print. You and know, they probably I mean, it's essentially... put it out as well because of the Kino Wars. And they're like, we got to put this out well, now. Well, it's funny. They lost the rights to so many of those Melville films they put out that Kino then put out themselves. But this one they managed to hold on to alongside La Samurai, I guess. And yeah, I mean, this is one of the definitive Melville films. It's probably one of the definitive uh, heist movies of all time. You can see its influence on everybody from like John Woo, who's obviously a huge fan and I believe contributes. Uh, some material to this like an interview or something to like Michael Mann or people like that I mean it's just obviously this is like a titan of like French action cinema and it's just nice to see it available again and yeah it is only in a 4k UHD blu-ray package so they haven't re-released like a standard blu-ray of it you know at least it's back again and even if you don't have a 4k player you can still buy it and get the blu-ray out of 4K it 4k blu-ray combo just a beautiful film just an absolutely i saw beautiful it when film. sinsu played a double bill of jean-pierre melville films and they on 35 millimeter back when sinsu used to do that until the people that were in charge of the organization just didn't care anymore yeah sinsu was great uh for those of you who don't know is like the toronto um university of toronto film society and they had like a budget too until like they decided i don't know throw a dvd of bend it like beckham up on there. <laughs> i know right? i remember they were unearthing some great like prince of canadian stuff for a while that i would go and see oh, it was great not anymore and it was free screenings you didn't have to be a student yeah, or anything you just walk in yeah it was beautiful and i that's the thing i never went to u of t and i just walked in we also have the kino something weird putting out another one of their forbidden fruit blu-rays of like mental hygiene films and this one is a classic it is Edgar G. Ulmer's Damaged Lives, packaged with another film I'm not familiar with called Damaged Goods, which is, you know, the same subject yeah, matter. Yeah, Damaged Lives is kind of the selling point here. That's their the big one that they put on the cover. I didn't get around to watching this, unfortunately. How will you know about the dangers of STD without checking it, this movie out? I know. I wanted to put this on the list because, I mean, I know you're an Edgar G. Ulmer head, and I'm sure you have more to say about it. But this one's just, these forbidden fruit titles don't really sell all that well for us. We sell like a couple copies this one though flying off the shelf people love this why is that is this like edgar g elmer that's all it is edgar g elmer he has like a crazy cult like we did an episode on edgar g elmer early in important cinema club and he is the filmmaker that we get the most mail about people thanking us for introducing uh them to his work he's one of those like magical guys because he did insane interviews where he talked about like blowing himself up and he has one solid gold classic to his name detour and every other film is like we're looking for those grains of sand of that expressionist (laughs) feel or the imagination and yeah i mean i'm glad this movie came out and i know that shout kino has like a triple bill of his sci-fi films coming out soon they do yeah so uh, that's kino actually that's also doing it yeah so that's coming out in all these films are just bouncing between all of the (laughs) i know man from planet x on the kino release and that was a shout factory release a lot of them were put out as individual blu-rays from shout and also on like dvd four packs stuff like that 
but yeah, Kino is putting out a nice box set, which we should be expecting any day now. But uh, yeah, people are, and a lot of people are excited for that. So you keep a copy. You make sure Will Sloan doesn't snag that last one. Out oh, I'm of- sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, because Will Sloan uh, snagged the Jerry Lewis from Bay Street Video, and <laughs> yeah, the like, new imprint set. Hours at- before I walked in, and I was like, "Oh no, there's none on the shelf." Did Will get it? And Mark was like, "Yep." Well, you know, with these imprint releases, there are one-way sales. I can't return them, so. And they're so expensive, I just go low on them. He and told me that when he saw that you guys had posted it, he like rushed first thing in the oh, morning. Oh, yeah. He was, because I posted it like late Thursday, like probably just before. And he was there Friday morning. And he was there before I got in, like at noon on Friday. So, but so was somebody else. It wasn't just him, it was another customer of ours who's a great customer who's like a big Jerry Lewis head as well. And so I should have expected that those two would pick it up right away. I just thought, like, thought the cost might Speaking be a little more. Speaking of imprint titles, it's cheaper than. It's cheaper than what we used to get them for, at least. We're getting way better price, but we can talk about that in the next episode. Or when maybe we... when I can get a copy, Mark. Yes, of course. I'll hold off till you get one, which hopefully should be soon. The next title is Hester Street, and this is being released by Cohen, which makes me think, like, wait, is it going to be released by Kino at some point down the line, too? Well, Cohen is Kino, basically. Oh, that's now, right. I so... forgot that they got bought by them. Yeah, now. so this technically is a Kino release, but they still brand it as Cohen. It's just, if you notice, uh, like... kind of border around it. Exactly. So it's still, like, a Cohen release, but, I mean, the way you can tell with these things, it's kind of like the Vinegar Syndrome situation. Like, if you'll... I mean, I would only know this because I work with this stuff, but the barcodes are all similar for these kind of things. So, yeah, Cohen stuff. Cohen used to be its own, like, kind of standalone label, and now it's part... It's, like how Scorpion and Code Red all kind of went under the Kino label at one point. Now Cohen's there too. And so Hester Street is a film directed by John Micklin Silver, a very underrated director who's probably most famous for making, um, what is it? Between the Lines is a popular one. Yeah, Between the Lines. Oh, A Chilly Scene of Winter is another one, which is very good. Didn't he get a Blu-ray release? I have the Twilight Time uh, Blu-ray release. Oh, it was a Twilight. Yeah, I don't think it's come out past that Twilight Time release though. It got it for like five bucks too because they had that like closing sale oh man if you want to see the ultimate anti-romantic comedy i would absolutely recommend chilly scenes of winter it's came out in 1979 and it's basically kind of like 500 days of summer where it stars uh, john hurd the dad from home alone and he's like going through his romantic uh, relationship and how it fell apart and it's all like talking to the camera very stylish but you realize as the film plays out that he's like really like disturbed and his emotions are very mis place right okay so it's kind of like a satire of that kind of stuff uh, yeah very good this well, film i'm sure that will come out at some point from another label and hester street is kind of an interesting stylistic experiment it's about carol kane plays a woman in 1890s new york she's a jewish immigrant and she uh, has a hard time getting used to the America. And it's depressing. It looks beautiful. And this set is actually really good, too. There's a new interview with the director, which she must have recorded before she passed away because she passed away not too long ago. There's an archival commentary with her. No, but it's much welcome because while this was put out before, Kino actually did put this out before, but the reports I heard from the quality of it weren't maybe the best. So yeah, it's got undergone a restoration. I think they played it theatrically in New York for a bit. I know there is a Joan Micklin Silver, I think, retro going on at the Tiff Bell Lightbox in Toronto right now, which may be playing this. I mean, they're so, definitely playing this if they're doing a 
Retro. So it's nice to see her finally getting some long overdue respect. If you want to know more about her, you should check uh, out an episode of the Important Cinema Club that we did on her. So we went through a bunch of her films and discussed her career. So check that out. That's how I'm going to say check it out do now. It. Yeah, Just screaming now. at the end of it. <laughs> Moving on to a label that we've talked about before. I mean, we liked them before they were cool, before they partnered with Vinegar Syndrome. It's Culture Shock releasing. And this is their new one. And obviously we talked about them in the past because we were getting stuff direct from them when they were a small little label. Yeah, um, you have been in contact with the owners, right? Yeah, we talked about Slashdance. Super, and... super cool guy. Slashdance was kind of their big release that we first got, which uh, was DVD only at the time, but is coming out actually on Blu-ray in a month or so. Super nice guy who runs it and they... You know, it was perhaps inevitable that they would end up under the Vinegar Syndrome label since the stuff they release is very much in that wheelhouse. Now, what's interesting about Culture Shock is yesterday I accidentally, I don't know how it happened, ended up on the Vinegar Syndrome Blu-ray release Facebook group. And I got out of there as quickly as possible because I'm like, ah, scary. No, yeah, no, no. <laughs> but like people were like, uh, what's the words Vinegar Syndrome release? People were like all the Culture Shock releasing films what? because they're a very specific flavor of film. They were also yeah. complaining about Saturn's core and it's like uh, these people uh, are not what they're kind talking of, about. Yeah, used to these types. Of, I mean, I would say Culture Shock are, is definitely on the lower end of these films as far as what you would expect from a conventional motion picture. I watched American Scream and it's very odd. It's, I would almost say it's trying to do a Twin Peaks kind of vibe, but Twin Peaks didn't come out until two years after this movie was made. At the same time, it feels like a Zazz comedy. It's about like a family that go to a trip at a cabin and the town is very weird around them okay it's almost undescribable and if you look on letterboxd a lot of people kind of describe it like that which like it feels like it's a zazz film but there's not really any zazz jokes and the tone is all over the place like people are getting decapitated on screen like gorily <laughs> and it's never spoken of again like comedy characters will like threaten another one with like a knife yeah and yeah. like it doesn't feel like a joke but it's supposed to be a joke and and the ending is just baffling like you're like well, okay like you're not sure how much the director is in on it or if it's just he doesn't quite know what he's doing. He was like a music video director. So there's also a lot of like weird flourishes and like it'll get suddenly like very mean spirited out of nowhere. And you're like, huh. <laughs> so, you know, the perfect culture shock release when you're dealing with like films beamed in from another planet. I mean, I'm surprised people have that much of a aversion to these because I mean, I know these films are a little different because I know we did Death Collector too at one point. We talked about that, but I didn't think they were like as opposed to saturn's core stuff which is like really kind of like out there regional sov stuff a lot of the time this stuff felt a little more accessible and more so like a lot of the vinegar syndrome releases i think but. that may be also the aversion they have to it is that like it looks like it's supposed to be accessible and it's not like it's, it's not, so yeah. kind of oh this person only made one film kind of vibe right, right. and you know uh, i get the feeling that like there are vinegar syndrome fans out there that they just want movies that are slasher films there's a reason the slasher films That's like true. sell so much right they want it yeah. to hit like a certain certain beats and stuff like that and partnering with these labels allows them to do more stuff but it also as we've joked before like we put it under the vinegar syndrome umbrella which has a basis or expectation even though like vinegar syndrome has released so many like outright bad movies well that's the thing yeah. like i 
I would say I've seen more bad vinegar syndrome releases than good ones. Maybe and they sell like the because you know they don't and have yeah, to be no good. shade. Like I think it's great, but like yeah, I'm not always expecting some sort of masterpiece getting into mm-hmm. these movies. So we also have Canny, another vinegar syndrome partner label, is releasing Cain and Abel, and this movie's great. This is a film that was directed by Lino Broca, who's most famous for making Manila in the Claws of Twilight, which is a Criterion release film and is a Filipino melodrama. And this is also a melodrama that turns into an action film halfway through because the director had an interesting career where he kind of balanced these like more commercial films with his more kind of like melodrama art films that would play on the festival circuit. And this one is a mix of both of them. And they uh, put it out on Blu-ray in a beautiful set. The colors look great. Oh man, the cover alone looks super cool. I mean, I think people, when they see that cover, may be disappointed that like no gun is fired like 75 minutes. (laughs) Yeah, it definitely looks like a straight action movie, but I'm okay with that bait and switch. (laughs) Yeah, I'm fine with that. I mean, there's so much stuff that all the Vinegar Syndrome partner labels are putting out. One of these can slip through. excites me, especially that like a film like this. Otherwise, it had been remastered by a Filipino DVD distribution many years ago. And I think that the other company came in and like worked on it a little bit more. It's interesting because they talk about that. This is the only print. And that means it's actually very warped at the beginning. So like it keeps going in and out of focus because I've been doing so much film scanning. Like I notice all these little mistakes now and I'm like, it doesn't bother me. Like I don't care. It's so hard. Anything can get out there. I learned that a really famous martial arts film, someone told me that it wasn't included on a box that a company put out because the only copy that exists has burnt in subtitles. And I'm like, who cares? Like, just put it out. Like That's the thing. It's like, I'd rather just see it, you know, in some form. Speaking of stuff that never got a DVD or Blu-ray release before, and a lot of people didn't know existed, we have Delta Space Mission from Deaf Crocodile. And it's this week's Blind Buy! Yay! And yeah, we hinted at this last week when we were talking about uh, Deaf Crocodile's first release, The Unknown Man of Shandigore. And this is very much, even though it's like totally a different thing, it also kind of has the same sort of ethos to it as like their first release in that it's just a super bizarre sci-fi kind of genre piece from a different time that i had just never heard of i had never heard of it before either and you think i would have because i'm a big fan of international animation Uh, this one is oh i had it right in front of me i always get it confused is it hungarian or romanian it's romanian actually yeah so it's a 1984 yeah romanian sci-fi animation which you know on the surface kind of has could be confused for any sort of like 80s sci-fi animation even like american stuff at the time but it's got such a cool vibe. And this is one that when you, uh, you know, read the booklet and you learn, oh, this was actually made as a bunch of TV series at first and then expanded to animation because it was actually oh, like sense. illegal to do feature animation. Like they didn't want anyone to do it. You're like, oh, okay. That would explain it's very disjointed narrative where it's like, I guess this is happening now. Sure, whatever. Well, they tell you that right off the top, right? Like the narrator is basically like, you're just going to see like a bunch of different vignettes or a bunch of different adventures or whatever and you're like okay and let me put this prog rock soundtrack on or it's actually kind of like keyboards like hey this is a prime movie to basically just get high and watch like this is total stoner cinema here i mean yeah i can i've seen people compare it to things like fantastic planet and like all those kind of like obvious sort of absolutely um, references but this is yeah this is definitely deserves 
some acclaim of its own because yeah the animation looks great i, I had a ball with it it's just got a cool even if you don't really understand what's going on half you the time, won't understand which, what's going which on which i didn't time, like yeah. honestly they were just pelting so much the stuff year at me. is 3084 3084 and this movie is only an hour and 10 minutes long around there so it's like they really cram a lot into this and yeah so i, I can't say i was fully like cognizant of everything that was going on all the time because it just keeps switching from like new adventure to new adventure and th- throws all this surreal animation at you but uh in terms of just like pure vibes cinema this has got it oh all. and it's a great addition from deaf crocodile it's got an interview with one of the co-directors it's got the some of the original like animated shorts that this was taken from so yeah i mean if you're interested in like weird world cinema feature animation why would you not pick this up movie up i love the lead character in this too well sort of the lead character the the alien journalist character alma she's basically just this like intergalactic reporter who just like yeah report travels to like contentious areas and reports on all these like crazy things going on and she's just so like super cool about it and like unaffected and everybody else is running around like with their heads cut off and she's just like in her element i don't know i just thought it was really cool do you recommend this one? Oh, absolutely <laughs> no, no contest. This is an easy recommendation. Yeah, this I is love an easy companies like Candy and Def Crocodile, what they're doing, and Culture Shock, being able to bring these movies that don't necessarily fit in particular boxes and introduce them to new audiences. All right. So Mark added this next one to the list, Edison and Leo. Do you like this movie, Mark? <laughs> okay. I, I haven't seen this movie, admittedly, but you know, uh, we, we were- It's di- a movie that like you explain it to me and I go, I should like it. It was supposed to be a film that Guy Madden directed, I believe in live action right, because it was, it was written by George Tolles, his co-writer on a lot of pictures. Yeah. I remember when this played at TIFF back in the day, like way back, 2008, I think it was. And I just never saw it. I never caught up with it. And now it's like just getting a much, you know, a belated Blu-ray release after all these years. And it just made me remember, you know, oh yeah, there was this kind of strange looking stop motion Canadian uh, movie from 2008. And I was, yeah, wondering if you'd seen it. It feels very half-baked. Okay, okay. And supposedly it's because a whole new filmmaking team took over halfway through. Mm. So it was kind of glued together at the last moment. So it doesn't have that kind of visceral feel that something like Delta Space Mission does. It feels like something I should love, like a Canadian from Guy Madden's collaborator stop motion animated move, movie, Edison and Leo. Yeah, the lead voice is from Powers Booth. I mean, the guy who made it, I guess, he worked as an animator on Suck and Rhinoceros Eyes, which I thought had some good stop motion animation i've never seen either movie (laughs) yeah well that's fine that's fine uh as a director he never made anything he made one short film after this and that's it he worked on a stop motion animated series that came out in 2021 that stars Kristen bell and i've never heard of it ultra city smith yeah i don't know much about this i don't know i just like you know bigging up canadian stuff here and whenever I, you like, bought these blu-rays and you can't return them sh- right mark that's why i put this on the list <laughs> you know as is usually the norm for canadian stuff this is released by an american company not a canadian company. why does it look like they printed it on their like inkjet printer on the cheapest stock yeah. because they did justin because they did because i picked it up and i was like what the heck like this does not have a good packaging oh that is more i mean that's the gravitas ventures way of of operating is printing a massive it out company on the, I mean, why are they doing it that way i know i remember i'll always remember the grizzly 2 revenge artwork which literally 
literally cuts off the <laughs> the back cover description because they've printed it poorly. It's like, oh my god, guys, what are you doing? Um, but you know what? If there's a sort of cool looking Canadian film coming out, I'm gonna I'm gonna pump it. I mean, it is an old one too. It's really weird. It's being it's released old. now. It's 2008. <laughs> yeah, I don't. Well, I guess initially it was put out on DVD by a Canadian. I want to say like E1 or something way back in the day. Yeah, that's a DVD I have. Uh, in the US, it was put out by a company called Bayview Entertainment, which has put out a lot of like kind of interesting, like super low key indie stuff over the years, including a lot of Canadian stuff. And I guess they've licensed out their catalog to this company Slipstream because a lot of their films are being put out on Blu-ray now. Yeah, I don't know. If anybody's got a fondness for this film, we got it. We got it here. <laughs> I mean, the next movie, I feel like a lot of people from the 80s have a fondness from it it's dream a little dream starring uh cory feldman and cory haim i've never seen it have you mark oh so you didn't get around to watching this one i eh? didn't i, ah, I wanted fine. to and i didn't that's have a fine. chance i know you picked it up you were all excited picking up this latest vestron release well, here. i wasn't excited yeah um so i did see this movie god a few years ago now when i was going through a two Corys phase my partner and i were watching a bunch of cory fell you know what i just gotta i just like the Corys. you know I i'm mean, a maybe license just, to drive fan no i agree Lice, they never got better than license to drive like that's the best one and it's still super funny watching it in a couple of years ago it held up i mean despite a few very misogynistic plot turns um it held up in the laugh department it was really funny <laughs> it held up in the laugh department put it on the case in Mark the laugh department i know right i'm working on my my pull my pull quotes right here yeah uh dream a little dream is a film yeah i was always interested in just because of the cover of you know this is the movie where Corey feldman fully gets to embrace his michael jackson obsession and basically dresses like michael jackson he basically plays michael jackson a version of michael jackson in this movie this is apparently his favorite film that he's ever made it's definitely a passion pro it was kind of a passion project for him as they were getting a little more fame this was kind of the thing he wanted to get off the ground unfortunately it was i think a huge bomb and uh kind of signaled the end more or less of their like huge heyday obviously they were making movies throughout the 90s it was a dream a little dream they too. made a dream a little dream too which if you please i i beg you to google the dvd cover of dream a little dream 2 because it is the most horrific looking thing you'll ever see it's basically recreating the artwork for dream a little dream but they've all been like photoshopped like they're older uh, and they look yeah. weirdly photoshopped on it it's really scary it's actually like quite frightening and we watched dream a little dream 2 and that movie is terrible do not it has nothing to do with the first one and it's basically it's just like a terrible bad 90s straight to video movie this one I don't know. It's, it's got some charm to it. I won't say it's necessarily great. And I think Vestron's putting it out just because it's under the Lionsgate catalog. And it's just yeah, like... that's why I bought it. My Vestron. <laughs> they can't get the rights to license to drive. So let's do Dream a Little Dream. MVD Rewind. They just released too many films that I was like, ah, I can't I get know, into this right? one. With no special features. But Vestron, they're still doing it if they drop the ball soon. What are the special features? Did you look? I don't have it in front of me. Are there... An interview with Corey Haim. A commentary with a film critic, I believe. And I think there's an interview with somebody else had something to do with the film not Corey Haim if it was an interview with Corey Haim he'd be coming back from the grave an interview yeah, with Corey Feldman exactly R.I.P. did you get into a Corey Corey phase because you were watching their reality TV show well I watched their reality show way back when it was on yeah I, I was into their show for sure but yeah just on a whim we kind of just did a Corey's thing but you know while I'm not going to say this movie is great by any means I would say I appreciate the level of ambition in it they're definitely they're trying to do something a little bit more it has to do with like 
dreams so basically the conceit is like there's an accident that puts the consciousness of this elderly dream researcher who's played by jason robards in a surprising performance into the body of a bratty teenager basically into Corey Haim's body so um it kind of has this like dream world vibe to it as well as this wacky kind of just like musical vibe because Corey feldman's always doing these like michael jackson impersonations and everything um the whole thing is just like such a bizarre idea and execution that i don't know i it kind of stuck with me uh and the director it was directed by mark rocco who went on to make a movie called where the day takes you which i know a lot of people sort of liked it had a lot of like young famous stars at the time like like will smith was even in it before he broke out and then he also made murder in the first which was kind of a big deal at the time but then he never made anything else after that his career just ended he had everything said that he had i guess so and he's actually passed away now he passed away early yeah in 2009 age 46 which is crazy um i don't know i got a bit of a fondness for this movie and i don't know they've done a nice job the vestron cover is really nice um the artwork the artwork's actually done by a local toronto artist i believe and um i don't know it's just nice to see a movie like this kind of getting its love i'm all for more love for the two so next up we have the matrix resurrections which i feel didn't we talk about this on an episode no i think we just talked about it in person in person yeah like this just came out this week so yeah um oh yeah i love this movie it's great uh yes the action's not as good as the other matrix movies i know i know I have to put that caveat every time I talk about it. I mean, this seemed to be a movie that people were either like loving or hating when it came out. Um, I didn't get to see it in theaters, unfortunately, because theaters... I mean, neither did I. Pandemic and everything. (laughs) I I caught it as soon as we got it into the store. And I'm definitely more on the side of positive than negative, uh, but I don't feel like it totally works for me either. Apart from the fact that, yeah, I don't think the action in it at all is anywhere near as good as any of the action in the first ones. I, I think the idea that she that she's going for the idea of like this or the questioning of whether making a fourth matrix movie is even like necessary and like what that says and like fan culture i think all that meta kind of stuff is super interesting but then i feel like it kind of just doesn't fully go all the way with that and then like for a good chunk in the middle it kind of sunk into this like cliche it just kind of seemed to play into all the worst aspects of these sort of like fan service sequels for a little i would disagree because i think the whole movie's about you know that keanu reeves is actually not that important in the grand scheme of things i totally agree with that and i like them trying to center trinity as more of the hero or as more of the sense like it it's not about one person especially not like one white guy it's more about anybody but trinity as a character in this movie gets very little to do i would argue like until the end when she's broken out of her like spell of this other life that she's been put into i don't feel like she's much of a character do you like i didn't feel like she didn't get much to do at all i found that every scene that she was in was very moving about how she talked about her life and what it means and the place that she's supposed to be put into it and i liked all of the new characters as well even uh uh, mouse whatever her name is i guess i wish there was just more of trinity Carrie Ann in Moss, it and more of her anti-vaxxer Carrie Ann is Moss. that confirmed dude i know there was rumors about that but... she, i believe she did someone was telling me that she did like um like classes on it because she's a very, very like oh, you know right, down right. to nature person she's always been like that so okay she must have taken a vaccine though otherwise i wouldn't have let her shoot i don't know i know that around the time when the matrix was coming out there were rumors that like an actress who is part of a big franchise movie coming out was anti-vax. And I know when it, 
played in Toronto or premiered in Toronto and Keanu was actually in town, she wasn't here. And she is Canadian too as well and everything. So that was a little weird. So I don't know. I mean, it would be disappointing because I've always loved her. But uh, I, I do think she's great in this movie. And I like and I like especially at the end when they do solidify that like, no, she is just as if not more important than he is. I just wish I felt that more throughout the whole thing. There was just like a bit, like in the middle, it just kind of sagged for me. I really loved the beginning. I really loved the end. But in the middle, it just, I don't know. I kind of started to lose interest. I love the middle where they're like, listen, life goes on. We're not at war anymore. Like we figure out how to work through these things. And I know you didn't get enough Jada Pinkett Smith. I know that's what hurt you that you're like. I do like Jada Pinkett Smith. <laughs> oh, she was fine in her role. I, I yeah, I don't know. Maybe I'm just being unnecessarily harsh. Maybe I was expecting more, but I think overall, it's sounding like I didn't like this movie, but I actually did quite enjoy this, especially more on retrospect. I think there were just a few things that didn't quite work this for This is me. a great Blu-ray, too. There's like 90 minutes of special features, and you hear Lano uh, talk a lot about what she wanted to do with the movie, her working process, like the fact that she doesn't storyboard anymore, and she actually controls the focal length of the camera because she's walking beside the cameraman when they shoot. They also do like 30-minute takes. They don't yell cut when they shoot, which explains a lot when you watch the movie. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I'll always be a Wachowski supporter for life. Also, that she's still bestest friends with James McTeague. Really? Who seems like a very nice fellow and a terrible... He's such a bad director. (laughs) (laughs) I did get a lot of enjoyment, like bad enjoyment out of The Raven, I have to admit. (laughs) Terrible movie. He also did that like breaking out movie that you're like, why is this not good? (laughs) Like, Right. That was him. I never saw that one. Breaking In, I think. Breaking In, yeah. Yeah. It just, it just bad. He also did Ninja Assassin, which is like, what is going on with this movie? So badly directed. Yeah. Like, yeah. He's not great. But he seems he's very, great. very nice. <laughs> well, that, that's something. I guess. That's worth something, right? Yeah. I, I wish the best to him. Obviously, Lana likes working with him. <laughs> I wish, yeah. I wish him the best. He should make The Raven 2 with John Cusack. That's, that's yeah, all I'm saying. It, like, like, it starts with uh, Edgar Allan Poe, like, sitting on the bench where he died and his eyes open. And he's like, my plan worked. <laughs> I know, right? It's like one of those, it's like the crank ending or something. He's like, yeah, I'm not dead yet. It'll uh, set up a multiverse where you can team up with like Mark Twain and <laughs> I don't know, some other authors. I think it'd be great. I mean, John Cusack's performance as Edgar Allan Poe in that movie is one of the most ridiculous performances I've seen in the last decade or so. Next so. up, we have Red Rocket from our uh, good friend, Sean Baker. <laughs> I'm always trying to think of like, what do we think? <laughs> he is not good my good friend. friend. Yeah. I've never spoken to him. I would like to speak to him. I feel like we would get along, uh, that we like uh, mostly the same thing. Also, this movie instantly caught my attention because it stars Simon Rex, the star of basically all the scary movie films, even though that every interview and article that I've read that he did about Red Rocket, those roles are so diminished, like they barely talk about them. He is the star of those movies, pretty much. He's the well. Anna I mean, Ferris he only is. came in at Scary Movie Three, though, right? Like he wasn't. I in believe he's in Scary Movie Four as well. He is, yeah. But Scary Movie Three is his piece de resistance. Yeah, because he's doing an eight mile parody in it. Yeah, he does the perfect like white boy rapper thing in it, which he um, was in real life, which probably helped him get a cast. And yeah. that's the fascinating thing about his performances, like how that was sort of like, yeah, he was actually a rapper in this movie where he plays a washed up porn star. He actually has some roots in the porn world too. So I feel like his performances are often drawing from his real life situation. But 
apart from those two movies, I don't really know anything else Simon Rex has done film wise. He's also in um, the ripoff. No, it wasn't the ripoff. It was the one that came out before Scary Movie or was made before it. Shriek, if you know what I did last Friday the 13th. He's very funny in that movie. Wow. You know, I saw all these movies when I was young, but I just don't. I remember him clearly in Scary Movie 3, but not in... Now, so this movie, uh, Sean Baker made it when the pandemic hit and basically had a bigger project that was ready to go. And he's like, well, we can't make this. So we actually shot this with like a really small team. You can see in the behind the scenes footage of this picture that like they shot it on Super 16. And they basically had like a bunch of cars where they brought all the stuff. They had like one tent and that's how they shot the movie. Now they cast Simon Rex five days before they started shooting, which makes me wonder, they must've had someone else cast before. Yeah. I've never seen another name come up though. Interesting. Cause he was working like, you know, he had Willem Dafoe in the Florida project. Like he was starting to work with bigger actors. And I feel like this movie would not have worked without no. Simon Rex. And that's the thing. Like Simon Rex is this movie start to finish. Like this movie is fairly, He's in every scene, it's fairly pretty long much, too. Almost. It's like a two and a half hour long movie, but it does not feel like it at all. And most of that is because Simon Rex just like, he has that same kind of like hyper spastic energy he had in Scary Movie 3, but it's just used on such like a more intense level in this one. And yeah, I mean, it's a lot. If you know Sean Baker's films, it does have the same sort of frenetic kind of pace to it. But this might be maybe my favorite of his movies so far. And I really love his films up until When I now. watched it, you know, I couldn't stop thinking about it afterwards. And I'm like, oh man, it's so good. Like I just kind of want to watch it again. And the Simon Baker character, he's like a washed up porn star who goes back to his hometown, shacks up with his ex-wife and her mom. And he's just a terrible person. And then immediately starts to like abuse everybody around him, basically <laughs> psychologically abuse everybody. But that's what the movie's about. And just watching him do this, like, and he's kind of like, he's a perfect kind of terrible person is he has no self-awareness of anything that he's doing like yeah and i think the movie and it's ballsy for the movie to stay with him so intimately when he's such an awful person but i i wouldn't say they excuse him though at, the by film any means. takes joy in seeing him suffer in the last 30 minutes it does right which is i think why it ultimately works like i've seen i know this was kind of like a bit of a lightning rod for certain critics who were like like there were people that didn't like this movie because they thought he was too awful and that they couldn't follow somebody like yeah, this. Yeah, but the best thing about this movie is everybody knows someone like this. Like, not that this extreme, but, like, th- these people like this and their kind of mental gymnastics they do to get through life, to get where they think they deserve to be and the people they destroy along the way. And I don't think... And this is the most frightening part, is that there's no maliciousness in what he no, does. No, he doesn't come off like you're typical movie bad guy a lot of the time even when he's doing really vile things he's super charming you know and like and i feel like you're right there are a lot of mental gymnastics involved where he thinks that like seducing like a teenager to eventually you know exploit her out into the porn world is like is like a valuable thing to do and he's doing her a favor super interesting to see a movie really stick with somebody like that but i think you're right like the movie's glee in like punishing him in the last half hour or so i think makes it all come together yeah i feel like critics opinions about his awfulness being bad could be justified if the movie seemed to take his side more, especially at the end, but I never got that sense. I do enjoy that all of the misery that befalls him in the last half hour is also because he says goodbye to his wife. If he if had just, he just left, left, he would not have dealt with But that's what it always is, right? Like, they get too cocky. 
And I think that's why it was so perfect for me. He fully was in it. And he, again, going back to these mental gymnastics about like just seeing the world through like your own skewed perspective. Like he really thought at that point he could go in and just smoothly be like, yeah, I'm taking off <laughs> and it would be all fine. Right. And it's like, are you kidding and Sean me? Baker, there is a traumatic event that happens. And I mean, Simon Rex's character, the way he reacts to it is like Sean Baker's like, I just want to make sure nobody thinks yeah, I'm on his I know, side. Right? Like, after that happens, if you could think the film is like, you know, oh, he has flaws, but he's sympathetic. Then I don't know, like, what else could Sean Baker yeah, do? Yeah, this is like the ultimate black comedy that you don't necessarily see anymore. And I mean, it all hinges on Simon Rex. Simon Rex really makes this performance what but it even is even the people around him are so good uh, most of them like non-actors like um one of the women that plays the daughter of a drug dealer sean baker just saw walking her dog and he's like hey you want to be in a movie and she's like she's so good in the well, film one too. of the the drug dealer lady who he um basically yeah, she's from that documentary that we Judy talked Hill, about a couple of uh, yeah. is from what you're gonna do when the world's on fire the roberto minervini doc which is excellent and if you haven't seen that definitely recommend check that out because judy hill is so so heartbreaking in that she she's just an amazing screen presence so it's awesome that he cast her in like a fictional kind of role and she she's great in it she slaps in this oh man i did not know that oh because it happened very recently the mom in the movie passed away in february i did hear yeah i did hear that unfortunately which is sad yeah because she's also really great everybody's not like great. one like false note struck every scene that the, she's uh, in. the young actress who i'm blanking on her name who basically simon rex is trying to seduce is uh susanna song yeah she's excellent um god everybody is and she's got to be casted more stuff after this right like that's the one thing i always feel bad when i watch uh, like these sean baker movies is like will these actors be cast again like is this it gonna be it for them i know because it is so like documentary style in some ways that you can see people just seeing them as like oh they're just those people they're not necessarily actually susanna song is cast in a tv series that stars the weekend and she's third built so oh she's got some jobs uh coming her way excellent movie well uh yeah this movie excellent movie great blu-ray too uh sean baker does commentary with his cinematographer and simon rex there's also a critical commentary with kat ellinger who uh from diabolique magazine she does a lot of vinegar syndrome releases where she kind of talks about how this is a film is a homage like italian sex comedies even like umberto lenzi films and there's like shots and stuff like that stolen from it i mean and, i would argue there's even a bit of like a neorealist kind of italian sort of sense to oh, it right i mean the s- italian sex comedies came out of the neorealist wave and she kind of talks about that on her commentary track and uh the sean baker track is great you hear a cinematographer talk about like they use lenses that a company had designed for steven soderbergh's che but at the last minute soderbergh ended up shooting on red so he didn't use those lenses so they were actually the first picture to use them because they're anamorphic lenses so lots of great little details that film nerds would love would recommend the movie and the disc all right mark take us this is all you for the last uh, stretch <laughs> Well, one more like nice little surprise uh, indie movie that I want to highlight is The Swerve, which is coming out this week from Epic Pictures, who released some interesting stuff from time to time. Uh, this movie is a few years old now. Uh, I saw this back in 2018 when it came out and was kind of doing the streaming route. And I did a review of it at that time. And it is an excellent little indie film, uh, American indie film made by a guy named uh, Dean Capsalis, first film. And 
has a great performance from Azura Sky, who is mostly a TV actress, uh, but she has like a really familiar look. It's the, that kind of actor you've seen in like a bunch of things, but never really has a lead role or anything. And she it's basically one of those kind of suburban malaise movies where she plays a housewife and, you know, she seemingly has a perfect life with her kids or husband, but clearly on the inside, she is like breaking down. She's having like an intense mental breakdown. It's a little Lucretia Martel-esque, uh, especially her film, The Headless Woman, and that it kind of hinges on a perceived, like maybe an accident that she had gotten into where maybe she potentially accidentally killed somebody, but you're not sure. Maybe it's all in her head. And she's basically slowly breaking down as her husband and her kids are like getting more and more concerned and don't know what's going on. It's not necessarily like a story you haven't seen before cinematically, but it's just really rivetingly told. And it mostly is worth recommending for the performance by Azura Sky because she looks so, she's already kind of like skinny and has hollow bags under her eyes at the beginning, but it just gets worse and worse throughout. And by the end, it kind of all culminates and sort of, a, you know, an intense moment and you're just like with her every second of the way. So yeah, I would highly, highly recommend this. I believe it is on streaming services. Yeah, I'm just seeing now it's actually on Tubi. So if you just want to check it out before buying a disc, I would say go for it. But um, it's worth picking up the disc too. I don't know. It's, it's just a really solid film. These epic releases are pretty cheap on Blu-ray. It's only like 15 bucks. So want a cool new indie film with a like a solid solid performance uh breakout kind all of right performance. and next up do, 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 do. wow it's willis watch again it feels like every week there's a new willis watch we're always doing willis watch on this spot well you know what uh this one that we're going to talk about today is american siege which is the first film he was in in 2022 so this was his first release this year came out streaming wise back in january and I've I've looked at his as his filmography, and so far in 2022, he has had a movie come out every single month. He is going four for four into April. Legend. Could we go 12 for 12 here? I think it's very possible. Used to like last year he had seven. So I mean, what's five more, right? Like, come on, we can do this. Anyway, so this is the first movie he had come out this year in January. It's, you know, as bland as its title would suggest. Uh, Bruce is again in it for like 10 minutes tops. And yeah, it's pretty boring all around. Not It is a siege situation. A bunch of people take, you know, take refuge or take somebody hostage in a house in the middle of the woods and Bruce and this other guy have to figure out how to get him out. The plot's not even really worth saying. There's not really much worth saying about this movie in general, except for the fact that I'm getting the sense more and more like Bruce Willis is like actively trolling us now, or at least, you know, if the rumors are to be believed about his dementia, whoever's making these movies is actively trolling us. I know we, I talked about with Apex, how the director was like putting in stuff from his previous movies as kind of like Easter eggs like that. In this movie, it's almost like he's responding to the fact that everybody thinks Bruce Willis is like a zombie through these movies. Because I kid you not, Bruce Willis's character in this film is introduced while he's napping, sitting down, napping, napping on the porch of his house. And his daughter comes around the corner, sees him, and she looks concerned for a second and like kicks his chair. And she's like, hey, hey. And then he sort of like grumbles awake. He's like, oh, oh yeah. And she literally says... Oh, wow. I thought you were dead for a second there. <laughs> like, are you kidding me? Like, right? 
And then later, and then a few scenes later when he's, because he's kind of the sheriff guy of the town, when he's called to action and his younger partner comes to get him and he's all like disheveled and he doesn't care or whatever, his younger partner literally looks at him and he's like, man, you could at least look like you give a shit. (laughs) I'm watching this movie and I'm like, come on, this has got to be deliberate, right? Is this not deliberate? Am I crazy here? I don't know. That's all I've really got to say about American Siege. Otherwise, it is pretty awful oh yeah we'll be back for gasoline alley which is you know you know i won't talk about it too much now but a little better a little better again i feel like i've said this a hundred times this is the director that got mad at me on twitter for making fun my nemesis he is like bruce willis's go-to right now more than any of these other guys so he yeah did american siege he's also done gasoline alley uh he hasn't done the next two coming out but i'm sure he's doing more i'm sure he's doing more. oh yeah paradise city let's see if the star is bruce yep Bruce and John Travolta. Oh, that's good. See, I'm into that. And Steven Dorff. Oh, dude, like that that could be the best of the year yeah, right solid there. Yeah, solid 2 out of 10. This gets Mark Hansen. Wow, I'm I'm ready for that. And you know, they they keep releasing these. I'm going to keep watching them. So Oh, wait, sorry. He only wrote it. Who directed it was Chuck Russell. Chuck Russell, like the Chuck Russell. <laughs> the Chuck Russell. <laughs> well, I guess he did that John Travolta I Am Wrath movie, right? Oh, that so, movie which is was awful. terrible. So bad. <laughs> so Oh, so bad. Well, I'm looking forward to that. Um, We'll be doing it as a blind uh, buy when it comes out, guaranteed. Yeah, of course we will, right? Anyways, that's American Siege. Not kind of a low point to start off on for the year for Bruce, but I mean... You know, that all that means is there's only one way to go from here. Uh, for, further downwards, yes. further downwards, spiraling down. Oh, so Mark just slipped in here. Two more films at the bottom of this list. Oh, the, I just, you know. you watched one of these, didn't you? I did. You know, I, I just obsessed with shark movies. If you listen to this podcast, you know about my love of shark movies. <laughs> there's no this, good ones, though. I know. <laughs> and you know what? You, we get a new bad-looking shark movie every week, uh, every couple weeks, and I don't ever put them on the list anymore. I barely do, but I don't know. We got two in one week here. Uh, one called Beneath the Surface, which is a British production from ITN, the company that puts out like the Robert movies and all that oh, stuff. Oh, so it's that cheap, eh? Yeah, yeah. And then Noah's Shark, which is one of those wild eye, you know, funny kind of shark, kind of like a Sharknado. Mark, would you riff. star in a shark movie that we shot in Lake? Ontario. Of course I would. Are you kidding me? Anytime, anywhere you want me to get eaten by a shark, I will be there. Now, I didn't watch Noah's Shark because I'm honestly not like these wild eye movies. Like they've oh, released Mark Polonia uh, too. Know. You know what that is. Well, they've is. made Jurassic Shark. They've made I a have whole a friend who he loves these types of films and he turned Noah's Shark off and was like, no, thank you. Oh, did you. he? That's the th- I can't. I just can't do the wild eye stuff anymore. It's just too... When it's trying too hard to be jokey, I mean, we've talked about this before. It just doesn't work for me. Um, I did watch Beneath the Surface mostly because it reminded me of that shark movie I watched last year and really enjoyed from the depths, the ghost shark movie that we chatted about. Yes, the one that's like a psychological uh, thriller. Yeah, which was really interesting. This one had a similar kind of idea, only in that it takes place after the shark attacks already happened. So it's about the lead character, a young woman who lost her father and sister, I believe, in a shark it attack. It has a very similar plot. <laughs> yeah. And basically it's her dealing with the trauma of that, which I was like, so it's not, there's no ghost shark in it or anything, but be, I'm always interested by that, those movies that like start with like what the climax usually is and then go on from there. But you know what? This is a real bait and switch movie. There is barely any shark action in this. So you basically get a few flashbacks to the incident, which is basically them just falling overboard into the water. And then there's like one shot of an ex- 
like a really cheesy looking fake shark mouth that comes at them but like basically the rest of the movie is her going to her psychiatrist and then coming home she lives with her boyfriend and another woman i don't know i was like half watching this so i don't even remember but clearly there's some sneaky stuff going on and basically she learns over the course of it that her boyfriend was basically trying to kill her and her family by pushing her over and it's this whole likely there's this whole suspense movie scenario where but she wouldn't you like that sounds like a 90s erotic thriller think so but it's just not done with any sort of passion or anything and everybody's just so boring in it and it's just so airless that, i'm yeah. fascinated by the career of this like uh producer director duo that made this film scott jeffrey and rebecca matthews scott jeffrey has 104 producer credits i know it only I starts in 2016 <laughs> i know it's crazy well it's like the guy who does the robert movies or anything it's just like this cottage industry in the uk of these like really how can he pump that many bare out? bones productions because clearly you watch this movie and it all takes place in like one house mostly and a couple actors and it's like i feel like they shot this thing in like three four days max Oh, guaranteed they shot in three four days and then it's just like put out there super quickly so yeah i don't know and i mean a lot of these are bait and switch kind of things because you don't actually it sells itself on being a shark movie but it's not really a shark movie it's kind of like this jealous lover sort of thriller which isn't that well done anyway so i mean the from the depths was kind of like a bait and switch because it, you know it sold itself there was on, a ghost shark wasn't but there? at least there was a ghost shark in it and at least the stuff about her dealing with the trauma was actually like really sensitively done like you could tell the actors and the director cared about it this i just feel like nobody this film cares. could only make people angry when they rent it right? right that's the thing because you're watching it and like clearly nobody is giving any sort of passion in this at all like the actors the directing it's none of it works like, it so. might as well them just be like laughing at the audience right? exactly right it's like you just getting together with your friends on a weekend and making like literally making something up off the top of your head and then just slapping it together and throwing it out there which you know can have its charm but if it was like, passionate if it was but... passionate but nobody this these just seem like you can tell with something like this that this is just an industry they're just like okay we need to make another one we haven't done a shark one in a while. Let's do a shark movie. And then they just do this. And it's like, but we really can't afford to do a shark thing or shoot on water that much. So it'll be about the aftermath of it. There you go. Perfect. We're done. So I don't know. So, you know, I watched it. So we had to talk about it. That's basically I'm glad it. that you ended it on a very down note. <laughs> you know, shark, I just like, I want, I love shark movies. I'm always drawn to them. What and yet, shark movie do you love? I think I like I mean, I will say that like it was probably kicked off by Jaws when I was a kid, but even Jaws, I don't quite love anymore. I kind of like yeah, the too popular. We know we know the Mark brand at this point. Yeah, you know, I kind of like the trashier stuff now. And I like, you know, the stuff we've watched even recently, like Cruel Jaws or Tintorera, stuff like that really just like does it for me. I like it. I like when it's cheesy. I think the cheesier the better works for me. So when I see these movies that come out that should be cheesy, they look cheesy and then they just don't have any sort of passion. I mean, I think the Sharknado thing really kind of killed it in a way because up until then, it just became too self-aware after the Sharknado series got too big. And I didn't even mind it at first, but like after that, it seems like any low budget shark movie that comes out is trying to be like sharknado all right well that's it for this week's episode of the bay street video podcast uh stores open go and visit or give them a call and order some blu-rays because they ship them out too yeah hey and if you if you like shark movies we, we got them <laughs> got lots so until next week my name is justin the Clip. i'm mark hansen keep on buying keep on renting <laughs>
Shark movies. These movies and many more are available at your local video store. Yeah, come on in. I'll give you some good shark recommendations.